Well, I tell you, those things are really slick. I never did. I still haven't tried the pre-made stuff in it, just using it for a dispenser, but putting the real thing in and just shaking it to make it, um, they work super. Huh. Would you describe that, please? Because this is like between the well, What are you talking it, about? Okay, it's, it's back like the seltzer bottles, except it's whipped cream, mm -hmm. not uh, soda water. And the containers look about the same, except the spouts are at a different angle. Um, the bottles are slightly different inside. I don't know what the logic back of that is. But nevertheless, it's just an empty bottle out of aluminum or stainless steel. It's got the screw-on lid with a spring-loaded handle you pull to release it, release the, the whipped cream. It's got a spout sticking up on the top of it, uh, just a little bit off of vertical. It's about three inches long. Got um, maybe a half-inch hole in that spout. And you take the lid off and you pour in um, X amount of whipping cream or heavy cream. You put how many spoonfuls of powdered sugar you want in it, um, small amount of vanilla flavoring or what other flavoring you might want, whether it's chocolate, strawberry, whatever. Then you screw this thing closed, and I usually shake it before and after it's charged, too. I don't know that that's necessary. They've got some ambiguous instructions I'll get to in a minute. But anyway, you put all that stuff in there, and you shake it up real good. And you charge it with a charger like a CO2 charger, but you don't use CO2 with whipped cream. You have to use nitrous oxide. And it has something to do with hat mixes or whatever. Happy gas. Uh, the cylinders look the same, but it's just a different gas in it. And this goes in a little holder thing, and then you screw it on the side of the bottle at the top, on the lid part. And it pierces the, the cylinder and releases the gas into the you've got a charged whipped cream dispenser. So you just turn it upside down, you know, with the spout down over whatever you're putting it in and pull the handle and out it comes. And um, it's nice thick whipped cream. It's, 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 it's just excellent. I mean, I, I, I think it's great. Well, I have two questions. Question one, is that what the old-time soda fountains used? And question two, where do you buy laughing gas to put in whipped cream containers. What it is, that's exactly what's in it. Where do you I was, wondering, I was wondering if you were going to catch that. Yeah, well, of course I okay. did. Gosh. I don't know what the old-time fountains were using. I have been there. I have seen it. I don't remember. I do know that your upper-end stainless whipped cream dispensers and all are used at Starbucks and places like that. Huh? Um... I guess you see it more in a restaurant-type item. They're usually available in one pint, or, you know, 16 and a half ounces, a half a liter, and one liter sizes. The one I have is the half liter or 16-ounce deal. Um, Can you buy that uh, You buy it, just like you do the CO2 cylinders. Actually, they're a little cheaper and come in larger packs. I think most of the CO2 cylinders for... Seltzer bottles are packed in in the package. Oh, that's all I've ever seen. The the 
nitrous oxide is usually, um, I think it's 24 in a pack of those. But the physical shape and size of the bottles are identical to the, the, the gas bottles. Well, i got to tell you, that is probably the best whipped cream anybody ever ate. Boy, you laugh yourself all the way to the bathroom scale. Nah, you don't even notice it. Now, they do tell you on the, a lot of websites that, well, I think in Ohio you have to be 18 years old. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't see that anywhere else. But, I mean, there is so little of it, you'd have to punch a whole lot of them to get, get happy. Hmm. It doesn't take but, a lot for me to get happy, so... <laughs> Well, I think the whipped cream will make you a lot happier than the gas will. Yeah, whipped cream is good. That's a keeper. But now, what I thought was really cute, they were giving instructions for mixing um, flavored whipped creams. Instructions for 16.5-ounce bottles. Now, you tell me what's wrong with this. They had 14-point-something ounces of one item, 17 point something ounces of another item, uh, 4 point something ounces of flavoring or whatever, and then you pour this into the container. Now tell me what's wrong with that. Well, it's um, a size 18 buns trying to get into a size 12 pair of pants here. How do you fit all of exactly. that in a 16 and a half ounce bottle? Well, that's what I wanted to know. And another discrepancy they had was that depending on whatever kind of whipped cream you were making, I don't remember the exact thing, but it said shake three times or four to five times for something else. Well, later down in the instructions, after it, you know, tells you to fill this and all, it tells you, shake vigorously. <laughs> so, you know, what do you do? I know what happened. I know what happened. Okay. The laughing gas isn't as oh. as you think it is. Somebody did well, the laughing gas and then wrote the instructions. How do you like that one? Yeah, that must that must have been it. That'll work. Now, this, this bottle has a fill line on it, and... What we do, uh, of course, you can't fill that slap up because it has to have room for the gas in there to pressurize it. But um, it has a fill line, and you can take a one-pint uh, carton of heavy cream or whipping cream and pour it in there, and that will bring it up to the fill line. Um, I don't know what the coil looks like, but it probably does the same thing. Hmm. Um, and, you know, the powdered sugar and, and the, the flavoring really doesn't add that much to the thing. And you don't have to stir it or anything, because once you close this thing up and shake it, it mixes it. And I've seen everything from two to six times the volume coming out of it. Yeah. Put it in once this thing's fluffed up. Sure, it's all aerated, sure. Oh, yeah. But back to the point, a, you know, these... These prepackaged cans you get out of the dairy case. It's got the um, aerosol can with a little spout sticking up on top. Uh -huh. Those things, um, I hadn't bought one of them in years. The last one I saw around $3 a piece. And there's not that much in them, and the stuff comes out very wet. 
I think to me. It just seems like it's awful thin. Now, you may find it different, or I don't know what's the difference in brands, but that's where I always found it. But these things, you can buy, at least here, um, we bought a pint of heavy whipping cream here just, I don't know, a week or so ago. We're like a dollar 56 cents. And I bet this, and of course you've got the cost of the bottle, I understand that. But the gas cylinders, you know, you're talking, oh, what is it? They're probably less than 20 cents a piece. And I bet you, you get enough of good, heavy, thick cream out of this thing, out of that pint. I bet you it would fill six of those cans. Wow. Like you buy in the dairy case. Well, you know what you have just done? You've, you've issued an invitation to all of our family. They'd like to show up and have a taste of this, please. So if you could give them directions on how to get to your house, they'd, they'd really appreciate it. Oh, I, I, I can email it. Say what? Uh, I can email it. <laughs> yeah, because you, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do with email. You realize when you, you need to delete something, uh-huh. you put white out on the screen to take it off. <laughs> so surely you can email whipped cream. That's part of my southern... My southern education? Exactly. And and if that can't be done, you can send it over the phone line. This is true. This is true. You've got the... So there's, there's all kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. Landlines are, are good backups for things like that. Yeah, the, the place I got mine, I think it was about the cheapest place I saw uh, on any of it. And they're right there in Florida. It's, um, oh, heck, I don't have it in front of me. It's something island, Florida. Um place called cream right um but there, there is all kind of prices these things obviously the stainless steel ones cost more but the aluminum ones uh, come in different colors or brushed aluminum or red or white or black or all kind of colors and they're a whole lot cheaper and it's kind of a, a one-time purchase deal now what you wind up paying more for is the, the higher-end ones mm-hmm. the parts and the heads are replaceable, you know, the springs and all that stuff, gaskets, things of that nature. I think the highest price when I saw would dispense, well, no, that wasn't the highest price. They have insulated ones too, but that, that just got totally out of reason. Um, that's crazy. But the upper end uninsulated ones, you can't... Um, you can't change. You can't replace the parts in it. And I thought that was really wild. And the one down from it in the ISI type or brand, um, you can replace everything in it. So you know it wasn't. Didn't make sense to buy the higher priced one. I guess it was just the name. But the, the higher priced one, you can dispense hot things out of it. Now I had no intentions of doing that. You would do hot, but the lady told me the only difference, really, other than the parts, was that the one for hot items had a, a I think it's a silicon gasket in it, as opposed to whatever's in the other one. And if you ask them, they'll send you a, a silicon gasket to go in the other one. So, I mean, you know, what's the point? I just went for something that would hold up and was repairable. 
Yeah. And you got you got it. Oh yes, and I, I'm 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 quite happy with you know you you wind up with all these things that that look great on TV and you, and you want one and then you use it a time or two and set it down and that's the end of it. Uh, everybody has those kind of things, but this is something that you know you don't have to use it all the time, but um, it is a very handy convenience now. I'll have to give it that. Well, we all want your address. We don't want this emailed. We want to do this in the proper setting, and we'll all be there for ice cream and whipped cream. Okay. Sounds like a winner to me. Ice cream is one of the four basic food groups. Chocolate is another. Uh-huh. Donuts and candy. Those Absolutely. Yeah, four basic food groups. Are you ready for a question? Yeah, I don't know if you're ready for the answer, but... Oh, you always tell me that. Then you tell me it's an easy question. I'll give you a hard question. In Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, Elliot Lewis played the captain of the vessel. What was the captain's name? I cannot. I got you? Yeah, you did. It is oh. long since I listened to that. I cannot remember his name. Oh, okay. All right. What Are you of, ready? I know what kind of ship it is. Yes, I do. Huh? Do you? I said I know what kind of ship it is, but I cannot oh, I remember his name. Me. Do I know? Do you know how big it is? No, I just know what type it is. What type is it? It's a catch. The catch. It's a 78-foot catch. Okay. And we're going to have a test next week. Uh-huh. I, I want you to say, oh, wow, that's really cool that you knew that, Patricia. Uh, Okay. <laughs> You're not cooperating. You're not cooperating here. Okay. In the western Fort Laramie, what was the setting? Where was Fort Laramie set? I thought it was in Utah. Nope. But I'm not sure. Not across that one off. Um I think I may have already asked this, but in case I didn't, John Daner starred in two shows in the Old West. Name one of them. I have a guy who travel, and um, I'm drawing a blank, but it was Henry Kendall. In, um, yes. Oh, crap, what was the name of that? J.B. Kendall in... Um, You even sent me that. I'm, I'm, it's too early. Um, you, you got the answer. I only asked for one of them. It's I know, but I'm, I'm still, I feel stupid. Can't count the name of the show, though. Well, I mean, you call at, nobody should be awake at this kind of an hour. So right. you're excused. I, um, I am not. It's Frontier Gentleman was the second one. That was it. That was it. I, um, you knew J.B. Kendall. I would have given you credit for it. Um... Back to Fort Laramie. Uh-huh. Did you, are you aware that the forts, even the western forts that you have seen in TV westerns, were not how they were? I knew that only because we have forts throughout Florida that have changed. 
you know, when they when they were reconstructed, they were different or, or represented differently. Well, what I'm getting at is, though, what, what I remember seeing in the 50s and all are the log forts with the, the pointed um, oh, I know. I was on the end uh-huh. with the big gates that swing open and all that. And even like uh, Rent in 10 is one that comes to mind. The big deal always was the gate opening to let the, the cavalry troop out or in of the fort uh-huh. um, at the beginning or the end or whatever of the show. And that's what they always portray. But in the west, the forts were not like that. There were no stockades at all. It was just a group of buildings and a large parade ground, and there were no fences or barriers there. And a lot of people don't realize that. No protection. Huh. Right. I guess part of the reason was that they didn't have the trees to make them. Well, that, that would do it. But, you know, there again, that is an awful lot of work, and... Even the ones in the East that did have stockades like that, um, I don't think were near the size that the no. Western forts were. And even the Alamo. That out so much more. Even the Alamo, which was an adobe style. Right, exactly. Was very, very small. Very small. Right. But, you know, when you start looking at some of the sizes of the western forts, I mean, it would it would be a major construction thing to wall those things in. Sure. You bet. Anyway, just a piece of trivia. Well, you, you're doing good. I'm glad for the trivia, and I'm very happy for the lessons on how to be a good southerner. And yeah, it, it is catching. Done good is one of the more common upper-class expressions. Yeah, I, I know. I, I know. I always say I done good. I always say that, and I say well, you done good. Is that acceptable? It, it's it's quite acceptable. You're okay. So yeah, I'm learning. I'm I'm really doing very well here. Now I I have a whole bunch of radio shows that need a home. Do you are you in the mood for adopting any? Right now, I cannot think of what. Uh, I think I'm going to put it off till I think up something worthwhile. Okay. Send me an email and let me know. Shoot in the dark. I, I, nothing's coming to me, so we'll let it ride. Okay. Well, let me know. When when something comes to you during the week, send me an email. Okay. Um, and just, just remember now, the point is the whipped cream, not the gas. Yeah. When you, when you, when you get yours. Oh, yeah. Okay. Day, just remember, the whipped cream is the point of this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I will. You're going to email it to if, me, right? If, if you order a bottle and uh, 3,000 bottles of gas, they'll probably wonder what's going on. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, that, that kills that. I guess I could, I could get all my neighbors. They could order a couple of dozen each and contribute yeah. to the cause. Yeah, and y'all could really have a big time one Saturday night. Yes, we could. We'd all have to get into the same paper bag. <laughs> Let the cartridges open in the same paper bag. Oh, Lord. Very cool. All right, then. <laughs> Go talk to y'all again. Well, I do thank you for calling, and you have a great day tomorrow, or today. I guess for you it's today, huh? Yeah, it's today. It's I think it is for you, too, whether you realize.
Yeah, well, don't forget to fly that on the computer screen. It works well. It works well. Well, you have a good day. Day later. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. There we go. You know what my my thought is about when a day begins. The day begins when you get up. When I get up, right. If I have, to, I have to go to bed and then get up again, and then it can be the next day. But not until that happens. I get hooked by a clock. If it go past midnight, I am already up in the morning. It works for you. Mm-hmm. My system doesn't work for very many people. It works perfectly. I think actually yours is the standardized method. You think? Uh-huh. So a lot of people, they take your, your route rather than mine. Hmm. The word normal doesn't normally creep into my description. Yeah, you are a normal, normal soul. Don't good. let it get out. Aww. I know. I know it. <laughs> okay, I'm going to finish the Wheaties information. Wheaties! Yes. The Breakfast of Champions. The Breakfast of Champions. It says... At a company staff meeting, this is where we let off, an advertising executive for Wheaties offered the suggestion that ended up saving the cereal. He stated that since sales were good in those regions where the Wheaties musical commercial was heard, why not air the commercial in as many regions in the country as possible? Well, that didn't take the brains of a box of rocks to figure that one out. Right. Gee whiz. Okay, in a nutshell, the musical commercial, that's what it says here, I didn't say that. In a nutshell, the musical commercial was aired... Sales improved, and Wheaties quickly became one of the most popular breakfast cereals. As for the Wheaties jingle, the musical ditty continued on the air. During the 1930s, it helped the product attract a specific group of listeners, of radio listeners, children. With a slight change in the words, the jingle was sung on the program. Wheaties was was the most famous for sponsoring. Somebody messed up on the sentence. It's not me. What they're trying to say is that with just a little change, it became the most famous because it was sponsored on which show? Wheaties. Jack Armstrong. Jack Armstrong, the old American, American boy. So that's Wheaties. July 31, 1933. And we rest our case. Hooray! We rest our case, a jingle sells product. You bet. Somebody lost sight of that along the way. Have you fried the best breakfast food in the land? Won't you try Wheaties? Anyway, it's a great You've got so much in your life. I wonder sometimes how you have managed to listen to so many things. I'm serious about that. Well, remember them on top of it, but well, you know, I mean, there, there are parts of my life that I'm, uh, uh, you know, I mean, we're the same boat. I mean, I'm not. I uh, traditional TV is not really in my wheelhouse. In your wheelhouse, I like that expression. It's a good. great expression, you know. That's good. Uh, so, I mean, except for special events or special, you know, sport broadcasts or special documentaries or something special. Yeah. I am. And you, you spend your time differently. I am just so, I am, you know, I'm here, there, and everywhere. Huh. So, 
So he, he thinks about it. I've been collecting since I was 10. So 35 years worth. That's a lot of listening. Yeah. <clears throat> you have had other things in your life though besides old time radio. Yeah, I, I've, I, I have had a... If I passed away today, if I died today, I've had a very blessed and very rich life. And you know what? Hmm? Even if you don't pass away today, you still had a very blessed life yeah. so far. Yeah. Yeah. And we're not planning on letting you go, so oh, just going to have to hang around for a <laughs> I have a couple of date things for this week, and then I can save all the rest of the stuff for next week. Alrighty. We missed on Saturday. See, for me, it's still Saturday because I haven't been to bed yet. Happy birthday, Fats Domino. Ain't that a shame. He was the youngest of eight children born into a Creole family. I found my thrill on Blueberry Hill. Indeed. He did not speak English because it, in, in, they spoke Creole. I did not know that. Yep, he did not speak English. He was born in 1928. Bless his heart. I hope one day you're going to be able to attach yourself to him. I would love encourage to. Encourage him to be part of the show one night. Will you join me when we get him? Are you serious? Uh-huh. I'll go down and drive him. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show up in New Orleans. Yeah. Okay, on February 27th in 1980, the first and last Grammy ever awarded for the best disco recording. A one hit, wonder. Yeah, it, it was, it, because it, it was such a strong movement, they created mm -hmm. a new category, mm -hmm. and it was a flash. It, it was literally what is called a flash in the pan. Yeah. They created this category, and by the time they gave the award, it had already started to go away, yeah. and they never gave it again. So they, they had one year, on February 27, 1980, the Grammys had a single year in a category that was never to be seen again. I wonder if Grease and Saturday Night Fever, those things in 77 when it started the disco craze, they must have been up there for the Grammy and maybe didn't win or, you well, know, um, didn't, get, didn't get nominated for that category. They, they, well, they probably did the movie as opposed to the music. Um, well, I was thinking music. Yeah. Now, but I remember, you know what, you know what the big hit during that time was got all to play. Saturday Night Live? Well, no, I'm thinking of... Uh, or, no, Saturday Night Fever, not Saturday Night yeah. Live. No, what were you thinking of? I was thinking of Pat Boone's daughter, Debbie, You Light Up My Life. Well, that's hardly disco. I know, but I'm thinking that won the awards, I think, around that time. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. I see what you mean. Okay. I think so. Maybe I'm off. If anybody myself. ever asks what it was <laughs> that took the single boy, you talk about value on memorabilia, having that award available yep. to a collector, the one and only, forevermore. You know, I don't know if you ever looked it up, but... Uh, Bill Vec, mm -hmm. with the great baseball. baseball promoter for the Chicago White Sox. Uh-huh. Are you impressed I knew who he was? 
I'm always impressed. Well, but, I mean, I know. just thought that was pretty cool, Patricia. Okay. But, you know. I'm sorry for interrupting. Patricia, Patricia, part of my life, and so she, she's a smart bunny rabbit. I know that. Yeah, but I mean, that's an S thing. I know, but it, we haven't told the people what you, 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 your knowledge of the S things are. <laughs> People call an S word. Somebody called a couple of weeks ago and wanted to know what this S word thing was. Uh huh. Yeah. Sports. Sports. I don't do sports. Well, we just. Don't, I'm sorry for interrupting. We You'll just. We just back. don't. We just. We just don't tell that. You know, that uh, we just went on that Patricia goes down and watch the Red Sox. No, she doesn't. She never did that. Yeah. Never one time. Yeah, she, we know she doesn't go down and watch the Yankees play. No, she doesn't do that. Yeah, we know. Okay, so you were talking about Bill Zek. Yeah. Bye. Well, you remember what he's famous for, for disco? For disco? Because, <laughs> well, he, he um, lost his leg in an accident. Right. And what about disco for him? He was the one that came up with the concept of disco night to destroy all these disco records. And they did it in between, in, in, in between a double hitter so that everybody could bring on their disco records and destroy them. How cool. And there was so much litter, uh, debris, they had to cancel the second half of the second game. Oh, my gosh. Well, if that I, was, if I recall, that was I think a promo was, that got a little out of hand. Yeah, I think that was in 78 or so. But that's, <laughs> oh, my God. I was about to say he was one of the most, if not the most, creative promoter oh, yeah. in the sports industry. But I guess he overcreated that oh, yeah. night. Well, that's but, funny. For the audience who may or may have forgotten, he's the one that came up with the... Uh, the Mixit, who went up and bat in 1951. He came up with the what? A midget. A midget uh-huh. up to bat? Yep. Mm. The guy who was three feet tall and the White Sox was dead for us, so he came up with the idea. It might have been with, well, he put Cleveland in the end. I forgot. Maybe it was Cleveland. He, sent up, he, he uh, put a midget under contract and sent him up to bat. And they laughed so hard, they walked him. <laughs> <laughs> It worked. I love it. Yeah. And he, he really, it, he thought outside the box so far that sometimes he was in a different county. Right. And then his uh, nephew, now still in baseball, he runs some some minor league baseball team, and he's still a creative. Right? The, Vic, the Vic spirit is still alive and well. Now, is it his nephew or his son? I think it's his nephew. I thought it was his son. I met with him one time, and, yeah. I, and but it was a long time ago. Well, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you know, maybe the nephew continued in the industry. I don't think his son did. I could be wrong. Hmm. Well, he was just as creative, not just as creative. Yeah. Nobody could be as creative. I think his nephew's name started with Mike, if I recall. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's, that's right. his son. Okay. Well, you're good. You taught me well, Patricia. Everything I really these things it, out of your bunny hat. Wow! Everything I know in life is due to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm responsible. Sure. But I'm me. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I promise not to blame me on you. Okay, February twenty seventh. Well, I think you should. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that would deflect a lot of blame. I know. This is good. I got big shoulders. This is good. I yeah. get off scot-free. I think you should. I think so, too. Yeah. Okay. What, what you got there? February 27th, 1827, was the first Mardi Gras in New Orleans. Ah, uh, 
God, that had been a big, uh, that had been a big time in the, uh, that had been a big night in the old town that night. I well, I don't know what, what size it was in 1827, but it, it obviously was a good idea, because we're still doing Mardi Gras all over the place. And gosh, you think about that, before the Battle of New Orleans. Yes. Which was in 1830 or 1836 or so. Something like that. No, 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 1818. So about right around that time, same time frame. Okay, I'll believe you. Yeah, because Andrew Jackson took over President in 1832. Yeah, so it was 18th well, He has finished up with that. Yeah, yeah. it was 18th fifteen. Okay. Okay, yeah, but still, I mean, you're talking 12 years later. Yeah, well, I tried to... Established a standard that is with us today. Mm -hmm. Now, here's here's a good piece. That, that was, we're on an anniversary right now with Mardi Gras. Next week, uh, we can talk about Mardi Gras for this year, because Mardi Gras happens on March 8th. Hooray. So we can talk about Mardi Gras next week. That'll be good. And it. Fat Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask everybody about Fat Tuesday. We're going to talk about Mardi Gras. And in 1936, now this one's good, we have moved on from Mardi Gras here. Mm -hmm. In 1936, February 27th, 1936, Shirley Temple reached an agreement or was given by the studios the fee of $50,000 per film. Now in 1936, having $50,000 per film is a big deal. Especially when you're a little kid. Fifty thousand for the whole decade would have been a, a big deal. I know, deal. I know. Yeah. Fifty thousand per film. Isn't that a hoot? That's a big deal. All right. And I wish we were getting fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> I would settle for ten percent of it. I know. I, you know, I mean, I just have this very easy lifestyle. Well, I, I don't have to buy shoes. You, you know, have to wear I, them before you can wear them out. But I'm responsible for you, and I have to look out for your future. You're responsible for me? Of course. This is getting better and better. I'm not going to hang up tonight. I know. i, I got to make sure I manage your future correctly. This is good. So I won't ask for 15%. 15%? <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> $7,500 here. This is good. This is good. I can live for a long time on $7,500. Okay, and February, we had, um, February is Black History Month, Yep. and I mentioned this to you, um, the first troop of Tuskegee-trained pilots were sent to North Africa in 1943 to join the Allied forces. How about that? Um, the leader was Captain Benjamin Q. Davis, Jr., mm who was an African-American and became the first Air Force general in our history. Way to go. 54. Way to go. Yep. First Good. general in the Air Force, 1954. And I just thought that was a neat thing to, to talk about. I agree. I wish we had a thousand hours to do this. It was really a, a remarkable group of men who were out uh, with the Air Force. And he was apparently an extraordinary person. Wow. So maybe one night we can talk about him sure. for a little bit. Sure. But anyway, that, that's my date information, and the rest of the stuff we can save for next week. Yeah. Yes? So what do you guys do? Well, because it's after 5 o'clock, it's way time for our super show. You want to play one, or you want to just shut it down? Well, I think if we could... Um,
play a show, and I will give the questions that I would have asked at the end of the show. And if anyone has the answers for me, you can email them to me. All I need is one, and you get some radio shows. So we have a really great show here. Would that be okay? Play the show? Let's do it. Yeah, okay. It's um, what I think is a really fun show, the new fire alarm box. Each week I ask three questions at the end of the first show, but because this is the first show and we're not going to be back when the show ends, here are the three questions. Nope. Let me give you the, the setup here first. New fire alarm box. This is from April 13, 1948. There is a new fire alarm box outside the McGee residence. And Fibber, as usual, I love this line. He can make a case for a catastrophe out of a caterpillar. That was a good one, right? Absolutely. That's better than mountain out of a molehill. That's a great one. Yeah, catastrophe out of a caterpillar. I like that. Okay, so this time, poor Fibber is the martyr who believes he has the responsibility for turning in all the fire alarms for his neighborhood <laughs> because the fire alarm box is outside his house. He's got to monitor the alarm, make sure it's always in working order. Um, and as, of course, only Fibber could do, he gets himself into a mess and out of a mess. So it's pretty cool. So. I'm going to ask, or I would have asked when we got back, so you have a heads up on what to listen to, what color was the alarm box? Fibber set fire to something in this show. What did he set fire to? And who did Fibber call a barrel-bottomed cowtown Kildare? That's good. Boy, that was great writing. Okay, so those are the three questions I would have come back with. If you stay with us and listen to the show and can answer one of them, email it to me at floridawriter at hotmail.com, floridawriter at hotmail.com, and I will trade you one answer for some radio shows. Pretty good deal. Awesome. All right, so here we go with new fire alarm box from April 13th, 1948. Good night, everybody. I'm glad we're back on track. We'll be on time next week. And thank you for being with us. The Johnson's Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. of Johnson's Wax Products for home and industry present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra. Fibber and Molly join us in a moment. The old saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, certainly is true when it comes to wood floors. Neglected floors soon become so shabby and unattractive that they have to be refinished. And you probably know how much trouble and how expensive it is. But now that the Johnson Electric Floor Polisher is again available, you can have far lovelier floors with far less work. You can forever eliminate the bother and expense of refinishing your floors. All you do is flick the switch of the Johnson Electric Floor Polisher and then just guide it around the room. Why, you can polish every floor in your home in a fraction of the usual time. So plan now to care for your floors the modern, inexpensive way with the Johnson Electric Floor Polisher. For $44.50, you can have one of your own, or you can rent one by the day from your neighborhood dealer. Remember, Johnson's Paste Wax to save your floors and the Johnson Electric Floor Polisher to save you work. 
You're the perfect combination to bring out the beauty of your home. Look on the bright side, shine up the right side, bring out the beauty of the home. The city is installing a new fire alarm box on the corner near the McGee residence. Most people would not consider this a particularly thrilling event, but as the old saying goes, simple pleasures for simple folks. And here is one of Wistful Vista's simpler folks telling his wife about it. As we meet Fibber McGee and Molly. Well, Fibber, the minute I seen this guy installing this fire alarm box on our corner, I walks right up to him. Look, bud, I says, in a refined way, I says, put that fire alarm box someplace else, I says. This is a quiet neighborhood, I says, and we don't want fire engines dashing through here all hours of the day and night. Did he put up much of... Gentlemen, next Thursday, Fibber and Molly will be in Collegeville, Indiana to receive honorary LLD degrees from St. Joseph's College. This is in recognition of the consistent acceptability of their radio material in your homes, as shown by the nationwide radio acceptance poll of college students. Molly, I'd like to congratulate you on your success. And, pal, same to you. Well, thanks, Junior. We may not be a complete success, but we're getting there. By degrees. Yeah. <laughs> Good night, all. Good night. The makers of Johnson's Wax Products, Wilson, Wisconsin, bring you Phil McGee and Molly each week at this time. Be with us again next Tuesday night, won't you? This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Good night, everybody. May the good Lord Jesus Christ bless each one of you out there.